listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in 1 Peter chapter 3. If you're a guest, we have been working through this little letter, um, and we came through kind of some interesting weeks. This week a little bit, a little bit different than the last couple of weeks, but uh, 1 Peter chapter 3. And if you don't have a Bible, there's one in front of you. Uh, we'll have some of the text on the screen. And as you're finding it, uh, and let me, let me just go back to that. I didn't say this first service, I should. If you have a Bible, uh, and you, bring it. I know that's very kind of like, yeah. But no, if you have a Bible, bring it. And if you use yours on your phone, great, open it. Uh, we wanna be people of the word. Don't just listen to what I say. Look at what God is saying and say, see if Bill is actually saying what God is saying because that's one of the ways you keep me accountable. But it, you will get so much more out of the sermon if you're following along. And, and we just want you to be people of the word. Uh, we are community Bible church after all. So uh, it's important for you. And write in it, you know, write notes, write whatever. Uh, it's, it's, it's important for us to be people of the word. So if you didn't bring one today and you don't have one, tell us, we'll get you one. You can take one in front of you. But we just wanna have uh, the scripture in front of us. Right? You're not going to go to the game without your bat. You're not going to go to war without your weapon. So bring uh, a copy of your, of your Bible to, to this time as we, as we open the scriptures. Ask yourself, let me ask you a question. How would you define a good life? I mean, what, is, what, is the, what does good days look like? The good old days or good days ahead or loving life? Well, how would you fill in the answer to that question? For me, and you know me, those of you have been here, I would say the good life, it's the 80s. <laughs> the days of mixtapes and light bright and the oven, uh, the, the easy bu- uh, bake oven. Remember the easy bake oven? I'm surprised you didn't burn your house down with that, some of you. Everyone trying to moonwalk, but not really being able to do it, but pretending that you could do it. MTV showing music videos. Uh, playgrounds with with equipment that would scold you, but it was just worth it. And that merry-go-round that you would all swing on and you'd hold on to, like, you know, you're like, until someone flies off. Those were the good old days, right? The 80s. Maybe that's how, uh, jeans jackets, come on, jeans jackets with all the pins on them. You, You know you did it. You know you did it. I had the anarchy pin and the peace pin on the same jacket. Didn't even know what they meant, but it was a cool pin, right? I mean, it was just such a contradiction of life. The good old days, Love and life, all right? I, I don't know how you define it, but here's what I do know. Everyone in this room wants to love life. You want it. You want good days. It's part of who we are. That's fine, right? That is a good thing. And, and what Peter is gonna do is give us good news. He's gonna say, here's how. Here's how you can have good days. Here's how you can love Life, And he's going to give us four little short verses, and that's what he's going to talk about. Unfortunately, he's not taking us back to the 80s. But what he is going to do is say, you can, have, you can love life. You can have good days. And I know there's a, there's a super spiritualness in us that's like, yeah, I know. We're going to heaven. It'll be good days. But for now, we need to be miserable. That's what we do. We're miserable now. We're happy later. That's not what he's going to say, actually. Yes, it is true that there is affliction and suffering here. But he's not going to say, the good days are there. No, he's going to say, you can love life now. You can have good days today. But the thing is this, it's not gonna be what you think it may be. Because <laughs> what we're gonna say is, how do I love, love life? I have a boat. I am a, a zero handicap. I have this much money. I'm in this relationship. I have this job. I, we fill in the blank with that. That's not where he's gonna go, right? 
But where he's gonna go, he's gonna talk about three things. He's gonna talk about one, our attitudes, two, our responses, three, our motivation. That's where we're going. That's what he's gonna say today. And we've been closing out this section. We've been in it really for four weeks. Key verse back in 2.12, keep your behavior excellent, your conduct excellent among the Gentiles so that when they speak evil against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God. And he's been taking a very narrow approach in applying this passage, right? Live your life well as citizens, boom. Live your life well as, as employees, boom. Live your life well in marriage, boom. Why? So they see you and they're like, that is different and I want some of it. And today he's going to say, he's going he's to shotgun approach now. We're just going to talk about life. You're going to live a good life in a good way, uh, seeing good days. And people are going to say, I want that. I don't know what it is, but I want that, right? And so that is where we're going. And this is one of those texts, y'all. I mean, we, we, we've waded through some fun waters the last couple of weeks, got some controversial passages. This is not one of those like fanfare texts that were like longing. I can't hear to hear what Fowler says about this one, right? We're not there. This is, there's, there's passages in the Bible, like we call them as preachers, home run texts, right? There's that, everyone's gonna get excited, you know, David and Goliath, or you know, just big stories that people are like, yeah, that's awesome. This is what we, we refer to as, as singles texts. This is just a single. It's not a home run, there's no fanfare, and maybe it's a bunt, maybe it's just a little, you know, infield hit. It's just a single. Or if you're a basketball guy, Basketball gal. It's, it's not a slam dunk. It's not a three-pointer. It's just a free throw. It's just a free throw, right? If you're a soccer person, I got nothing. You don't score. There's no, there's no scoring in soccer. We know this, right? So I got nothing for you there. But, it, but you, you string a couple singles together, you win the ball game. You just do. And what I want us to, the way I want us to come to this text is, this, you string these singles together, it's the good life. You don't need fanfare. You don't need flashy. There's nothing flashy about this. It's very straightforward, very simplistic. Not easy, but simple. But you string a couple of these together, it's the good life. It's loving life. It's good days. So let me read our text, the entirety of it. It's only four verses, and we'll come back and we'll unpack it a little bit. Chapter three, verse 12. I'm on the wrong page here. Excuse me, verse eight. Finally, finally, after the last few weeks, yeah, you're right, finally, Finally, all of you have unity of mind, sympathy, brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For the one, whoever desires to love life, there it is, and see good days, there it is, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous and his ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. So he starts off with this word, finally, and it's not finally I'm going to end the book because we still have two more chapters. So he's right in the middle of the book. But he's summing up the idea which he's been, he's been talking about. And it's just some effect. I think the New American Standard actually says, to sum it up, let me just summarize what I've been saying, right? And now he says all of you. He's not talking about wives. He's not talking about husbands. He's not talking about servants. He's not talking about citizens. He says everybody, right? He's dealing with everybody here. And what he's going to give us is five attitudes that are key to the good life. There's gonna be five attitudes he's gonna hit. Just kind of boom, 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 boom. There's not even a verb in the original language. It's just finally, boom, 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 boom. 
These five things. So let's look at them individually. The five attitudes to cultivate. Finally, all of you have number one, unity of mind. Some translations say uh, different things, oneness of mind. Others say uh, like-mindedness. My favorite one is, is harmony, harmonious. That's the, that's the idea of the original word, which let's be honest, in the day in which we live, in the, in the culture in which we live, in the climate in which we live right now over race and COVID and politics and all sorts of stuff, this one's a biggie, isn't it? Oneness, unity of mind, right? And here's what I would say. The world is a train wreck right now and they're looking for something. And it's, Peter would say, church, this is your chance. This is your opportunity to shine. This, this, is, this is what you were created for. This is why God has you here today. The problem with unity is this. To be unified, you have to come along some common thing, some common goal, some common vision. And the problem is no one can decide what that is. Is it this? Is it that? Is it this? Is it that? Here's the thing. We don't have to decide. Jesus has made it very clear what the church is supposed to come along, come alongside. We have our unifying thing. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that Jesus Christ crucified for sin, risen for our salvation, and now he has given us one mission, just one. You now go and make disciples of all the nations. That is the mission. That is the unifying idea that we come around the gospel, the good news of Jesus, and that we make disciples. That is what unifies us. And everything else takes precedence. And if we have, oh, yeah, but what about COVID? Oh, what about politics? Oh, what about this? What about this? What about this? If we're pulling in other directions, guess what's not going to happen? There's not going to be oneness of mind. There's just not. We got to have that common thing. And that's what it is. When I was a PE teacher, my favorite day of the year, field day. Best day of the year, right? Field day. And the, and the culmination of field day for us was always what? The tug of war, which they don't do anymore because we have weak sauce schools, okay? Because people get hurt. I get it. Fine, whatever. That's the goal. Get hurt. That's right. It's called tug of war, right? But anyway, so, so the idea of tug of war, and, you th- and you, what you think wins a tug of war doesn't actually win a tug of war, all right? Trust me. I was a PE major. I got, I'm an expert, all right? You think just put the biggest people and have them pull. That's actually not how you win. The key to winning the tug of war is all the people on the team pulling in the same direction at the same time. In fact, I actually Googled it this week. There's actually a professional tug of war league. Fascinating. Go Google it. It's on YouTube. I saw it. And these guys, they're not even big. They're just kind of tall and lanky. But here's what they do. They, 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 they did all sorts of crazy stuff, but they lean at a specific angle. Everyone's at the same, they, they must have plays. They run plays in tug of war, y'all. And, and they, they start walking at the same, they're all like nine of them, same, they're stepping back, they're leaning, they're leaning at the same angle. They, you got a guy that's telling them all these things and that is how they win. It's, it's fascinating to see. They're all pulling in the same direction. They're all doing the exact same thing at the same time. And that is why they win. That is the idea of oneness of mind. We are pulling in the same direction, the direction of Jesus Christ crucified, Jesus Christ exalted, Jesus Christ resurrected. That's the direction. And anything else, you got this guy pulling over here, this guy pulling over here, nothing happens. This is why I love the word harmony. Think about a harmony, even in, in like singing. You got one singer, they sing, it's pretty, Right? Pretty voice, pretty. 
But you put two, three, four singers that are singing the same song, but they're singing a different note that complements, right? That's, that's called a harmony. This is why some of you, you secretly, you, you watch on YouTube old Gaither videos, right? Because you're like, oh, that was pretty, right? Yeah, Google it for you younger folks. It's a 70s thing, right? But the Gaithers had harmonies and this guy's singing this part, this guy's singing this part, this guy's singing this part, this guy's singing this part. And it's beautiful when all four parts singing the same song are complimenting each other. You got one guy that's off note, it's like, Ugh. But when they're all complimenting each other towards the same song, it is beautiful. That's the idea for the church. Yeah, you don't have to sing the same note as everybody, but you do have to sing the same song, right? You have a note to play and your note is not as important as the song. That's what's important because we think it is. Now, we're not saying that you have to be the same as everyone. You have to think the same as everyone. You don't have to like the same as everyone. What you do have to have is a united same Mind That takes precedence for the, gospel, for the, for the Christian. And that, that song is the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what it is. Now, I will say this. I'm not talking about unity just for the sake of unity, right? We're not saying, oh, you can just believe whatever and do whatever. No, I'm not saying that, okay? There are certain things that we hold to with a closed hand that we will not compromise on. These things which Christians have believed for 2,000 years, these things which God has made very clear. The person and the work of Christ. He was born of a virgin. He was God in a body. He took on humanity. He lived the perfect life. He died as a substitute for your sin on a cross. He was crucified physically. He rose bodily. He is returning again physically. Those things are the non-negotiables, that salvation is by grace, it is through faith, it is not earned. These are the non-negotiables. We will not say, oh yeah, it doesn't matter what you believe. But there's other things that are open hand. What kind of school you send your kids to? Whether you wear a mask or not, whether you get the vaccine or not, what political affiliation, whether you believe in a rapture or a non-rapture or a millennial or spiritual gifts of this way and that way. Look, in this room, there's all sorts of positions. On our staff, there's all sorts of different positions, and, and especially when, in theological things. And I always want to let my staff uh, be wrong on things <laughs> so that they come around to the truth of my position. But those things don't take precedence over the gospel. And see, everyone loves unity until it costs you your opinion. Everyone loves being one until it costs you laying down your rights for that person, right? That's a reality. Because what we really love, and I've said this before and you'll hear it again, is we love uniformity. We love uniformity because uniformity is everyone looks the same, acts the same, believes the same, talks the same, all the same things. That's why you go to a home football game in Georgia. You love it. Everyone's wearing red and white. Everyone's cheering for a team that you know we're gonna lose in the end. Sorry. We love being uniform, but uniformity, uniformity is easy. Unity is hard because unity requires diversity. That's why marriage is challenging at times. Why? Because you have two sinful people in the house, male and female, come together as one, and we have to lay down our rights for the sake of this. This is why you need something greater than just, oh, I love them, or oh, they're so cute, I just want to spend the rest of my life. You need a, you need a, a bigger thing that you are following, Right? Because if it's just about, oh, I feel like this and this is so good. and No, no, it's gotta be something grander than that. It's gotta be a God thing. This is why we tell you, do not marry an unbeliever because there's a different goal here. The goal of the believer is to glorify God and to model the gospel. The goal for the non-believer is not to do that. So how can you, how can you have oneness there? You can't. It's very challenging, 
right? But we need to be willing to lay aside those things that we are so passionate about for the sake of the gospel, if that is what God is calling us to do, right? And we think, here's, here's why this is challenging. If I, again, if I asked you the good life, you're like, well, if I get my way, if I get my way in my marriage, if I can just get my spouse to agree with me, if I can get my boss to do what I want, we think that getting our way is the way we will have the good life and be happy. And what Peter is saying is it's actually the opposite. The way you have the good life is actually to lay down your preferences for the sake of Jesus and the gospel. And that is the highest priority. That is oneness. And the world, y'all, is longing for someone to model this. And it is our time. It is our time to do this. That's the first one he says to cultivate. Here's the second one, sympathy. Oh, I forgot even this verse. This is what Jesus prayed for, by the way, that we would be one. He says, Father, make them one as we are one, me and you, make them one. And look at the reason, so that the world may believe that you sent me. It's the same thing Peter's been saying. When there is a oneness, people are like, why do they love each other? They shouldn't love each other. They're different. They're distinct. They're all different opinions, yet they love each other, yet they are one. And it says something about who God is. That's what Peter's been saying the whole time, right? Unity of mind, harmony, sympathy, like-mindedness. Second one, sympathy. It's a Greek word that means to suffer with, two words together. Right, one preacher I heard this week said, it means it's your hurt and my heart, right? I rejoice when you rejoice. Your kid gets a scholarship. Your kid gets into college. You got the good job, blah, blah, blah. I rejoice. And then our brother, we heard about this morning, loses tragically his his daughter and we we mourn. We mourn. Your hurt and my heart, sympathizing. And for this to happen, you cannot be all about yourself, And you cannot be in isolation. This is something that happens only in community. And the model for sympathy, the model is Lord Jesus. What does the writer to Hebrews say about Jesus? That we have a high priest who can do what? Sympathize. Same idea, same word, right? How did Jesus sympathize with us? Think about it. He he became one of us. He left heaven He took on humanity. He added perfect humanity to his deity and he became like us. And for the first 30 years of his life, what did he do? We don't even know because it doesn't say anything. Why? Because he's just sympathizing. He's just waking up every day, eating his Cheerios, going to work, sweating, serving customers, working with his hands, getting tired, getting the chicken pox, going to birthday parties, just doing what we do. And then finally, in the last three years, when he's 30 years old, he starts his public ministry. Then he starts teaching. Then he starts healing. Then he starts calling people to follow him. Then he starts baptizing. He didn't baptize. Then he starts calling disciples. But for 30 years, just, just sympathizing, learning our experience, learning submission to the Father, all with the cross and the shadow at the end. And I was thinking about that this week. So 30, if he lives 33 years-ish, so one, one eleventh of his life he spends teaching, directing, doing ministry, and ten elevenths of his life he just spends being. I think that's a good model for us because what we end up having to do sometimes, we see someone struggling, we see, and we want to go in and we want to fix it. We know, oh, if you just did this, and we try to fix, 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 fix. And I think our fixing should be one eleventh of our time and our just being should be ten elevenths of our time. We call it the ministry of presence. Not trying to fix everything, not trying to make everything better, not trying to, oh, it's okay. No, just being. Your hurt in my heart, your joy in my heart, 
right? That's sympathy. And again, it's not about getting yours. It's about celebrating or being with them. Next one, brotherly love. Back to Philadelphia. We have lousy teams, but we're the best city, right? The same idea we looked at before, and we won't deep dive on it, but brotherly love, cultivate brotherly love. And here's what's interesting. For those of you who had siblings, um, I mean, I have a good relationship with my brother. He was three years younger than me, uh, four grades. But we did have some sibling rivalries, right? That's just the nature. I, by nature of being the oldest, got treated more unjustly than him. That's just the way it is. I got my junior year, I got a D in history. I did not see the sun for nine weeks until the next report card came out. My brother, his junior year, got an F in PE. True story. I don't know how you fail PE, but he got an F in PE and nothing changed. Now, oh yeah, go ahead, do whatever. This is just proof that my parents were unjust to me and were more gracious than my brother. And I'm not bitter about it. I'm just sharing with you in honesty. There's sibling rivalry, right? There's jealousy. Why did he get that? Why did he get that? Why did... no, and, and what he's saying is, no, no, we're cultivating. I celebrate with him. I want what's good for him. He, he wins, I win. That's the family. You never go against the family. In the words of the great theologian, Michael Corleone, Fredo, you're my older brother and I love you, but don't ever go against the family again, ever. Right? That, that's, that's good. Right? That's good. You are, understand this. You are closer, familial in God's eyes to the brother you've never met in the Sudan or in Iraq or in the former Soviet blocks than you are with your little frat boy, your little triland boy at Georgia Southern. I know some of you got that reference, I know. But that's the reality. You're best buddies with him, but he's not a believer. That person you've never met is a closer relative in God's eyes. He's your brother, she's your sister. And that's gotta be the case. You don't go against the family, right? And what, what do you think as a parent, and my kids, they actually get along very well, but there are times, I mean, you know, they're fighting about, oh, you eat the last bowl of Lucky Charms, blah, 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 and you know, it's a little, and when I hear that, that just gets my goad. Because I'm like, really, you're gonna fight over a $3.50 box of Lucky Charms? Look around, look, you got a room, you got all these things, look at how I've blessed you, look at, look at your life and you're fighting over a $3 box of Lucky Charms? And I think that would be God in saying, really? I've given you the kingdom and you're fighting about that? That's just dumb. That's dumb. Brotherly love. It should be something we cultivate. Next one, a tender heart. Some of your translations say compassion. That's the idea. That's how it's translated in a, in a same root word, but a, di- a little bit different word, especially in the gospels. And it's an idea that, uh, that you're moved to action. Tender heart. It actually literally means healthy bowels, right? Because in their day, they thought the emotions came from the bowels. We still get that a little bit. If I said, hey, you come up here and speak to everyone, tell them your testimony. You'd be like, oh, I can't handle that. You know, you're, you're a little nervous, right? So, so we get the same idea get butterflies in my stomach. That's the same idea. But he was saying, there's a compassion. There's something that moves you. It's not just, oh, that's sad. Oh, all shucks. No, no, it's a, it's a healthiness that moves you to do something. So it says, Jesus has compassion on the crowds. And so what does he do? He heals them. He feeds them. He teaches them, even though he's tired. That's the idea. Paul uses the same word in Ephesians 4. It says, be kind, tenderhearted, same word, 
forgiving. Because you are tenderhearted, you forgive. You release. Which makes a lot of sense because the good life, to see good days, if you are holding a grudge, if you're here and you haven't forgiven, you haven't released, who's the one who's suffering? You are. Not the person. You mean, you're running anger fantasies in your mind all the time, what I would do, what I'm gonna do, I can't believe it. They don't even know. You're the one that's suffering, not them. Why? Because you're not tenderhearted. You're not moving into action. It's used of the good Samaritan who sees his enemy, the Samaritan, right? Uh, who sees his, his Jewish enemy and he, he has compassion and he moves and he throws him on his animal and he takes care of him. It's used of the prodigal son, his father, who sees him a distance off and he has compassion. So what does he do? He runs. There's action. So the idea is, don't just awe, it's move. Right? And that requires, again, not so much caught up in myself and my life and making me happy and committing the American dream that I move. That's the good life. Next one, a humble mind. Humble mind. And this is, I think, the key to all the others. The humility is not thinking too highly of yourself. It's not thinking too lowly of yourself. It's honestly not thinking of yourself is the idea, Right? You're thinking of others. Because if you're only thinking of yourself, there's not gonna be you need because it's about you. It's about your positions, of your opinions. If you're only thinking of yourself, you're not gonna have sympathy because you're, you're feeling sorry for yourself. And you're not gonna have brotherly love because you're like, well, it's about me. It's about what am I, what's not fair about me. You're not gonna be tenderhearted because you're thinking about you. It's the grease that, that keeps relationships moving. And it's critical for all these things. And what's interesting here is, just like in their days, humility is not something we're like, wow, that guy's just great. He's so humble. We don't, the Greek mind actually looked down on humble people because you, if you were conquered, then you're humble. You're a servant. So what they wanted is self-esteem. They wanted self-assertiveness. They want you to be, just be strong and portray how great you are. And we would say, yeah, that's awful. No, we do the same thing. We love someone talking trash. We love someone that's super confident and it's super arrogant. That's what we love, right? We do. I mean, social media exists to declare how great you are doesn't it? It used to be just pictures for grandma so that she could see the grandkids. Now it's, look how great my meal is. Wow. This is the greatest salad in the history of the world. Do you see the size of the croutons? My trip to the beach is so much better than your trip to the beach. Look how, look how good our family looks in khakis and a white shirt. Better than your family in khakis and a white shirt, I'm sure. Like, look at our vacation. Look at our, it's declaring the excellencies of, of you. And what, there's nothing wrong. I'm not down on taking pictures and so don't hear that. But here's what I am saying. Your good days, loving life has nothing to do with your ego and people thinking how great you are. It just doesn't. Because in Jesus' own words, he says, you wanna be great in the kingdom? James and John, you wanna sit all next to me? I know. Asking if he can sit next to me in the kingdom. You know who's the greatest in the kingdom? Is that woman who gave two pennies that everyone was making fun of. She's the greatest. The least. Here's why. Because I am opposed to the proud, but I give grace to the humble. Right? Cultivate humility. This is why, y'all, the gospel is something we don't move on for. It reminds us of our need for a savior. 
It's not just, the, oh, that's the milk of the word. No, it is the everything of the word, that you were broken and needy and God saved you and it reminds you, yeah, you don't have to wallow in your sin, but you do have to wallow in your neediness for him constantly, constantly that you need him, right? And here's, here's the thing about all these attitudes, and we'll move on, because I'm, I'm running on. All right, they, if you want good life, you want to love life, you want good days, he gives these attitudes. How many of them really have anything to do with you getting what you want? None of them. Isn't that interesting? It's not about you getting anything. It's about you giving and laying down your life. In fact, I, I was thinking about this week. You, if you've ever studied the Gospels together, all of them, you know, each Gospel has a different perspective. And there's a lot of repetition in the, some of the Gospels, especially the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. They have a lot of similar parables, miracles, stories. And then John's is an outlier. He has a bunch of different and new material. But you know, there's very few things that find its way into all four Gospels. Very few. Very few statements of Jesus. You know which statement finds its way in all four? I think this is significant. Where Jesus says, you wanna, you wanna save your life? You gotta lose it. You, if you love your life, you're gonna, if you love your life, you're gonna lose it. You try to live for now, you're gonna lose it. But if you give your wife, life away, that's how you gain life. That idea, that's, that's critical to us having good days. It's about laying down our life. That's where Peter starts. And that's the easy part of the sermon. Let's move on to the more challenging, shall we? And to the responses we give. And again, this text I'm going to read to you next, it is not challenging. There's certain passages in the Bible where we're like, oh, that's hard to understand. I don't get that, right? Uh, Clint has one of those next week. Thank goodness it's on him, not me, right? So there's challenging things. Peter even says in his second letter, he says, man, some of the things Paul writes, I don't get. It's like, whoo, over my head. This passage is not one of them. Very straightforward. This is what he says. Do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling. And reviling is just any kind of speech that's hurtful. On the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you might attain a blessing. Don't repay evil for evil. How many of you, honest question. How many of you have ever had reviling? Reviling, someone gossiped about you, someone lied about you, someone criticized you, someone slandered you, someone did something with their mouth that, that hurt you. Probably all of us. Or how many of you were treated evil? Spouse abandoned you, parents neglected you, boss was hurtful to you, your, your, you know, your competitor in business did something that cost you money and cost you whatever. All, if we're honest, all of us, yeah, someone did me evil. And what in that moment when someone does evil to you, what feels like would bring you life? You wanna go to the mattresses, right? There's a second Godfather reference in one sermon. There you go, you're welcome. You wanna get... Right, you, you want to go the Chicago way. They bring a knife, you bring a gun. They put one of yours in the hospital, you put one of theirs in the morgue. That's the Chicago way. You want to one-up it. You want to go after it. You want, let's go, let's roll. You're going to say this to me? Okay, let's go, we're in. Ding, ding, ding. That's, that's what feels like would bring life, isn't it? And what Peter says is, yeah, don't do that. Do not repay. Do not revile. And again, this is not, Peter's not some like little softy guy, remember? He, he's not, he's, he's quick with his words, right? This is the guy, remember, he's, he's got his concealed carry permit, right? When, when the guy, they come to arrest Jesus, he pulls out the weapon, he swings it, he misses the guy's head because he's a fisherman, he's not a soldier, he cuts off his ear. And Jesus puts the ear back and says, hey, you, you're gonna live by the sword, you're gonna die by the sword. So this is not some weak sauce guy. He says, don't get back. And I think most of us as Christians be like, yes, I know. Good Christians, we're not gonna get back, fine, fine. And I wish he would stop there because that's not where he stops, is it? 
He says, don't do that, but do this. Bless. Bless them. Greek word eulageo. We get our English word eulogy. To speak well of them. To actually bless them. To actually call for God to bless them. So here's what that looks like. Your spouse yells at you. They're cruel to you. They criticize you. They're harsh with you. What do you do? You go do something nice. You take them out. You tell them how pretty they are. You, t- you compliment. Your competitor does something that costs you the big, the big uh, project, the big whatever. You pray that they succeed and God blesses their business and they make all this money and that they thrive. Your boss is harsh, unkind. You do a great job for him. You tell everyone how great your boss is. That's what he's saying to do. And you're like, well, I don't know if I can do that. Well, I hear you. And here's the thing. If you wait till you feel like it, you won't ever do it. But it's not about feelings. What is it about? It's about calling. Look what he says. This is what you were called to. This is why you exist. This is why you're here. Some of you are like, I want to know what God's calling on my life is. You want to know what God's calling is? Here you go. Bless your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. Love them like Jesus loved you. Like, ah, I don't know if I I can meet that calling. I think I'm going to be absent that day. Like, Bueller, Bueller, no, I'm not there that day, you know? No, no, no. See, we we don't like that part. We like the last part of the verse. Here's why. Here's the result of doing this, that you would inherit a blessing, that you would obtain a blessing. How many of I said, told you, who wants to be blessed? Woo, double hands, roller coaster, right? I want to be blessed. God says, okay, here, let me tell you how to bless. I'm going to bless you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for your enemies. Love those who persecute you. I go, I don't want a blessing that bad. That's where it is. That's where it is. And I know we don't feel like that, but that's what we do. That's because that's the life of the exile. And here's what I would say. I know this is challenging. So here's the starting place. You want a starting place? Here it is. Just pray for the person, whoever they are. And I know you know who they are. There's somebody. Start with praying. And you don't know what to pray. And I'm not talking about praying in precatory psalms. Precatory psalms, there's these psalms in, the, in this Bible that, that God, or, where they're calling down judgment. There's actually one, it's my favorite one. It says, break their teeth in their mouth, God. I'm like, I can live by that verse. That's a life verse there. I can memorize that one. No praying that. Praying that God would bless. But I gotta be, I gotta need justice. I need to defend myself. God's got the justice piece. He'll deal with it. You don't have to worry about that. You just follow him. Right? And here's the reason why God can ask us this. You ready? This is the big piece. God can command, and it's not just an ask, it's a command. It is a command. Here's why God can command us, because he did it. Because he spent 30 years sympathizing, and then he went into ministry, and then what did he do? We nailed him to a Roman cross. Roman soldiers spit on him, mocked him. The creator of the universe is being mocked by a couple low-level NCOs, and what does he say? Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He's on a cross between two thieves. They're both mocking him, making fun of him. And then at one point, the one turns and says, this is the Messiah. And he says, Jesus, please remember me in your kingdom. Jesus is like, oh, now you turn. Now you turn. Been up here three hours and now you want to be my buddy. Yeah, I see how it is. Well, no, what does he say? Today you will be with me in paradise. Like a lamb led to slaughter, a sheep before his shearers, Isaiah says. He was silent. 
the one who spoke the galaxies into existence, the one who one day will judge people and his sword will come from his mouth and he'll destroy his enemies, was silent. He did not revile. And now he says, hey, I did it. Now I've given you my spirit because you can't do this on your own, but I've given you my Holy Spirit who dwells in you. You can do it too. Bless those who curse you. Bless. Everyone loves forgiveness, as it's well said by Lewis, until we have something to forgive, right? So who do you need to bless today? You know. I don't know how you're gonna do it, but I know that God's calling you to do it if you wanna inherit a blessing, right? And you wanna inherit a blessing. And Jesus says he's gonna reward. Blessed are those when they, others revile you, persecute you, utter all kinds of false things on my account. Rejoice and be glad why your reward is great. Your reward is great. Jesus sees, he rewards So he starts here. You want the good life? It starts with these attitudes. You want the good life to see good days? It starts with responding in a way. And now he's going to explain all that. He's going to kind of summarize it. And he's going to quote his favorite psalm, Psalm 34, a psalm of David who ironically wrote it after he was in exile. He's told he's going to be the king, but then Saul tries to kill him. So he has to run away. He runs down to the Philistines and he's hanging out there. And then they want to kill him. So he acts like he's a madman. He acts all crazy and drools. and, And they're like, well, get this guy out of here. And after all that, he writes this psalm uh, so he knows what it is to be in exile and suffer persecution. And, and Peter is going to quote it here. And he says this, whoever desires to love life, there it is. Whoever desires to see good days, there it is. Here's what you do. Keep your tongue from evil and lips from speaking deceit. Isn't it interesting how our mouths have so much to do with good life? Our mouths have so much to do with uh, good days, right? And he's already dealt with this. Let him turn from evil and do good. Let him seek peace. That's the response piece. Let's pursue it as as much as it's up to you. And then he gives this explanatory statement. Why? For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. What is he saying? God sees you, God hears you. He sees and he hears. And it reminds me of passage in 2 Chronicles when Asa the king Uh, fails to go to God. Instead, he tries to to get his neighbors, the Syrians, to protect him. And God sends a prophet to him and says, why did you do that? Why did you go to Syria and not me? He says, the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless towards him. I'm looking for people to support. I'm, I'm scanning out on the audience, CBC. I'm looking for people to bless, to bring good days that you would love life. I'm looking And here's the motivation. You have a God who sees, you have a God who hears. His ear attends your prayer. He sees the righteous. He wants to bless his church. He wants to be good to his people. He wants you to have good days. That doesn't mean lots of money. It means good days. He wants you to have this peace. But you gotta gotta have these attitudes. You gotta have this response. You ever played you know, like flag football or, or kids football, you know, two-hand touch or whatever, you know, Thanksgiving day, you get the kids out in the yard, a little sandlot football, get the kids in the huddle and you're like, all right, I want you to go out there, ten, take 10 steps and then put, put your figure that way, get your sister to look off and then turn around, I'm gonna throw you the ball. You're gonna be open, you're gonna be wide open. You got that play? Yeah, that's right, 10 steps, point, and then turn around, right? So what happens, you say hike and all the kids, it just go, and they just do their own thing, climbing trees. And what are they saying the whole time? I'm open, I'm open, I'm open. And there's like four people around them. They're not open, but you throw the ball anyway and the ball gets knocked down and you come back to the huddle and you're like, they're like, why didn't you give me the ball? Because you weren't open. You didn't run the play. You did your own thing. 
I wanted to get you the ball. I wanted you to score a touchdown. I wanted to bless you. You just did your own thing. And I think God is saying to some of us, you're like, bless me, God, bless me. He's like, I want to, but you keep running your own daggone play. You're all over there. You're a jerk at work. You're mean to your kids. You serve no one. And you're just out there living for you, thinking as if you get the next car, the next house, the next this, the next promotion, that's going to make you happy. I want you to run this play. This is where good life. I want to get you the ball. I want to bless you, but you keep running your own play. And I cannot get behind that. I ain't putting my name on that. You're living in immorality with your girlfriend. I'm not doing that. You're flirting with your secretary. I'm not doing that. Run my play. And I'll get you the ball. And I give you, I'll bring you life and life abundant. And if some of you are thinking, man, it feels like, man, everywhere I go, man, God's against me. He's like, I've tried to do this and it feels like he's opposed. I tried to do this. I feel like enough, I can't win. It feels like God is like putting his hand in my face. He may very well be because he is opposed to those who are not running his play. He's opposed to the arrogant. He gives grace to the humble. Blessed are the what? Peacemakers. Blessed are the what? Poor in spirit. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. You have a God who sees. He is Yahweh Ra'ah, the Old Testament. The God who sees. He hears. And what he sees, here's what's great about our God. It's not often what everyone else sees. Everyone else sees the fanfare and the, everything is, woo, look at that, look at that guy, yeah all the applause and all the accolades of the world, the things that God sees are the things that no one else does. The things done anonymously, quiet, simple, two pennies given to him. You've given more than everyone else. That's how great our God is. Just one simple faithfulness, run the play, the attitudes, the responses, and he blesses. That is the good life. That's the good life. I love mixtapes. I love Light Bright. I love the 80s. But that's not the good life. Good life comes. The attitudes God calls us to cultivate. Brotherly love, tenderheartedness, humility. These things he mentions here. And responding the way he responds. You want a good life? There it is. You want a love life? There it is. All comes down to these things. So question for you as we leave, as we, we respond is, who you gotta bless? Who you gotta, what, what do you have to cultivate that you haven't been? So again, this is, a, this is not a home run text, I get it, but you keep putting these singles out there, you're gonna win the game. You keep cultivating humility. You keep cultivating brotherly kindness. You keep cultivating oneness. You keep responding with love to those who are reviling you're gonna put together a winning season. And that's what God wants from us. That's where he blesses. Let me pray and we will sing and respond. Father, I thank you for your word, for the simplicity of it, for the truth of it. Even though it's challenging, Lord, it is a, this is a challenging passage, but it's a simple to understand passage. Help us as your people to cultivate attitudes of humility and oneness and, and brotherly kindness and tenderheartedness. And help us to respond to those who don't treat us well with love. That's what you did for us. You pursued us. We put you on the cross. You pursued us. And so that's our model. Give us strength by your spirit to do it. Give us strength to forgive those who we need to forgive uh, because you forgave us. And help us to walk in a manner worthy of your son and his gospel. It's in his precious name we pray. Amen. You guys can stand as we sing.